I just kind of want to start by telling you a silly, um, silly little story. And uh, I was, um, I think, five or six years old. And um, I was five or six years old, and there was this girl I liked. And I think she was nine or ten. She was a few years older than I was. And um, some of you were like, wow, yeah, that's right. I mean, it didn't work out, but I mean, but that's, I hoped it did. So I, I, I liked this girl, and I had a huge crush on her, huge crush on her. And I grew up going to church. I know some of you didn't grow up going to church, and maybe this is kind of your first time going to church in a long time. Maybe you're here because of a girl, too. But I grew up um, going to church, and I knew I was going to be going to church um, at some time, like a Wednesday night or something like that, and I knew she was going to be there. And on the way to church, uh, we stopped at McDonald's, and and I haven't been to McDonald's in a long time, but, you know, they use, I don't even know if they do this anymore, so some of you that go often can tell me, but they have those Happy Meal boxes, and you get a toy, right? And the movie Hook was out at this time, and some of you are probably too young, you don't even know what that is, but the movie Hook, Robin Williams, and um, who's, the, who's the other guy? Um, who plays Hook? Why am I forgetting? Yes, Dustin Hoffman. Yes, amazing man, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, Rufio, right? a great all-star cast. And that's, that's what the toys were, okay? That's what the toys, that's not his real name, I don't think, but that's what, the, that's what the toys were. You know, sometimes when you look at like a BuzzFeed, it's like, where are they now? And like, they've got, anyways. Um, so, who, poor Rufio. Um, so, so they had toys, right? So they had toys, and uh, I got this toy here. And this is, uh, the internet, you guys, is amazing, because all I had to do was type in Hook McDonald's toy, and it, this is on Amazon. You can actually buy it for $2.45. Um, so I got this toy, which is this mermaid, okay? And I was like, I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this to my love. I'm going to give it to her. And she is going to, my life is going to change forever. And um, so I grabbed this toy, and I have it. And uh, this is not the actual one, because it's unwrapped, because it I unwrapped it. And um, I, I brought it to the church, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And I see her and her friends, and they're in uh, like some classroom or something, and I walk over towards there and walk towards her and boldly uh, go to her friend and say, hey, can you, um, can you give this to her? And, uh, and so, you know, she, I, I, I kind of step away and, and I'm kind of watching from afar, and she walks over and gives the toy to her. And uh, that's kind of like the little kid version of if you're at a bar and you send a drink over to someone, you know, and you're like, yeah, it's, it's from me. Um, so she sends the toy over, and I see her look at it, and then I just kind of, I don't remember the whole thing. I must have taken off and left. And then, um, I don't know, some time goes by, what probably felt like an eternity to my, my little heart, and I kind of went back towards that classroom, or maybe it was like the end of the night or something. I go back towards that classroom to walk in to try to go talk to her, and no one's in the room. And I look down, and there's the Little Mermaid toy in the trash. And that's right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and my heart was broken. It was broken. It was crushed. It was horrible. I was sad. I mean, it was devastating. I mean, really, I mean, I remember I cried like a baby. I mean, I kind of was a baby, but I cried like, I mean, like a little kid. I, I mean, I was destroyed. But um, it, it was really, really, really sad, really, really disappointing. Uh, thankfully... Um, recently she actually uh, left me a voicemail that said this. It said, hello from the other side. I must call a thousand times. Tell you I'm sorry for everything I've done. Um, for, she's sorry for breaking. Anyways, no, that's not really true. But um, the story's true. But, 
But here's why I bring that up, okay? This is why I bring this story up. <laughs> I just thought of that and thought that'd be kind of funny. So um, it wasn't Adele. Uh, this may make the story a lot better, but it, it wasn't Adele. But so here's, how, here's why I remember that story. Here's why I remember that. Because I was trying to think of, man, when's the first time I really remember being disappointed? When's the first time I really, and I don't, maybe before, I'm sure sometime before that I was disappointed, but I really, I mean, that was, I was five or six years old, and I remember just being so disappointed. There was something I wanted, something I had hoped for, something that I was trying to make happen, and it didn't, and I was crushed. And I was trying to think about, man, when's the first time that I really felt disappointed, that there was something that I wanted and it didn't happen? And that's only the first, obviously, of many times that I've experienced disappointment and that, I mean, you might have a memory yourself uh, from when you were a child, something, but it only kind of gets worse, right? I mean, as a child, sometimes there's things you want and sometimes things that you hope happen when you're a little kid and they can kind of roll off you a little bit, but as the years go on, more and more disappointment, more and more things that you want accumulate that you then don't get, right? And it's not always as easy to kind of let that roll off and to laugh it off. It, it can become things, even maybe presently, even currently, that it is continually rolling around in your mind of, man, I want this, and I don't have this. And we all experience disappointment, whether that's little things or like a, you know, a little mermaid toy or big things. There's things that we want, things that we hope for, things that we expect even that then don't happen. And they can be crushing, right? And they can be devastating. And they can be really hard. And sometimes what happens is we wonder, why is this happening to me? Like, why are there things that I hope for? Why are there things that I pray for? Why are there things that I long for that just don't seem to happen? Why does that happen to me? And we can also feel, how do I how do I deal with that? Not just why, but how do I deal with it? And I don't, you know, know everyone in this room and kind of what your faith background is, and you might not be a Christian at all, and that's great. We're glad to have you here. But as Christians, we even know that there's Bible verses that say things like rejoice in everything and be content in all circumstances. And so we can feel like, man, why does these things happen? And then we can also feel, how do I how do I actually face the disappointment in my life? Because I, I know I'm supposed to, and I know I want to be able to face disappointment in my life with resiliency and with peace and with joy. And yet, how do I do that? Because if you're like me at all, that's really difficult to do, right? I mean, when you, even if you know it, even if you know I'm supposed to be able to face whatever happens and we want that, it's still really difficult. It's still really difficult to want something, to hope for something, and then to not have it and be able to face it. And tonight, we're not talking, this is not a sermon tonight about how to get what you want. Okay, if I could preach that, then I'd be a billionaire. This is more a sermon about how to live in our lives and face disappointment when we don't have what it is we hope for. How do we actually face disappointment? How can we do that in a way where we still experience joy and peace and resiliency how do we do that? How can that actually happen? And we're going to look at the third chapter in the book of John and then see how this kind of connects to this idea, okay? So if you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of John or you can just type it into Google and it'll come up. I told you the internet has everything. So you can uh, type it in there. If you don't have a Bible, you can have the one in front of you. So here we go. This is uh, John chapter 3. And here is what he says. 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, we know that you are a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do you do not know where it comes from or where it goes? So Jesus is talking to this religious leader, this religious teacher. Jesus is talking to him, and, and Nicodemus is, is being told by Jesus that the way that you see the kingdom of God, the way you enter the kingdom of God, the way you experience life with God is you have to be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't really understand it. He doesn't really get it. He even uh, is kind of a little crass and is just kind of incredulous about, what are you talking about? Do I have to enter back into my mom's womb in order for that to happen? He doesn't really get it. And Jesus is saying, it's a spiritual reality that he's talking about. So it's not talking about a physical birth that you have to be reborn. He's talking about a spiritual reality. And it's like the wind that comes and it goes and you can't totally understand it. But you see its effects. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? Remember, this guy's a religious teacher. Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. He's talking about himself, the son of man. And then this is kind of weird, and I'll explain this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's talking about um, a, a time in, um, with a, in the Old Testament with the Israelite people, and God had sent um, an affliction upon them, but he, found, he had made a way for it to be dealt with, that Moses would hold up this, this serpent, and if they looked on the serpent, their wounds would be healed. Okay, it's a weird story. You can look it up. It's in the book of Numbers. But Jesus is saying the point of this is that just as that happened, the Son of Man himself must be lifted up on the cross, um, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So Nicodemus probably didn't get it because he's kind of like, huh, he wasn't really understanding anything Jesus was saying. Then we move on. This isn't, uh, this isn't the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus anymore. This is the author, the writer, John, kind of giving some commentary. And this is one of the most famous uh, verses in the Bible. He says this, For God so loved the world. So this is kind of his explanation of the conversation that just happened between Nick and Jesus. That's what I call him, Nick. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus, as John talked about in the beginning. 
And people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, now here's another story that happens. I'll show you kind of how these things connect with the idea we're talking about. After this, Jesus and his disciples, so after this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, his disciples went into the the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. I don't know what's going on with that. Sorry, guys. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem. John is not the author, John of the book, but uh, the man that it mentioned earlier that is often referred to as John the Baptist, who was uh, Jesus' cousin, actually. And he was, um, before Jesus came, he was a very prominent figure that would be calling people to repentance, calling people to be baptized, calling people to purity, and he had this ministry until Jesus came. So John was baptizing in Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Later he gets put in prison and killed. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So John had kind of his followers, okay? And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you, he's talking about Jesus, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing. And all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Okay, so what happens is this. Jesus is baptizing people. Jesus' disciples are baptizing people. And John is baptizing people. And John's disciples come to him and say, Hey, that guy... More people are going over to him now than you. Everyone's going over there instead of to you now. And John says, well, I told you I'm not the Christ. I'm not the king. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one everyone's been waiting for. I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, the best man, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He says, I'm the best man. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not the groom. I'm I'm the best man. So it's okay if... If he's, got the, if he's got the girl, basically. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay? So, what does this have to do with our question? We'll show how this kind of all connects to the disappointments that we face in life how we can face those disappointments. And here's what I want to start with. What could facing disappointment look like? What could, if, like, if, if we were able to do it in the way that we would hope to do it, if we're able to do it in a mature way, if we're able to do it in a, because we're all going to face it, right? Every single one of us. You may be facing it right now. 
I know, I mean, I have conversations with some of you. You may be facing it right now, or you will face it soon. Disappointment in life. Things that don't go the way that you want them to go, that you hope. What could facing disappointment look like? And you see this in John. He's a great example of facing what on the surface could be circumstances that could be really bad. So John, John has this great ministry before Jesus shows up. He's got this ministry that's very successful. He's very prominent. People are flocking to him. People are coming to him. He's got disciples. He's got admiration. He's got respect. He's got renowned. Even when Jesus first came on the scene, some people thought Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated, which is really weird, I know, but they, because they would have been like around at the same time, but some people even thought that was who Jesus was. Because John was this great teacher, this great prophet. People flocked to him. But then what happens? When Jesus shows up, it all starts to go away. It all starts to go away, and on the surface, that could be really disappointing. On the surface, things start not to go the way they were going. And his disciples respond how often we respond. That's not how John responds. We're talking about what could facing disappointment look like. But look what is, how his disciples respond. They go, look, John, everybody's going after Jesus instead. And they're concerned and they're anxious and they're worried, maybe partly because of John, but also probably partly because of themselves. Because if you have someone you're kind of following and he's really prestigious and he's got a lot of acclaim and you're kind of riding the coattails, but then you start to see, wait a minute, there's less and less people at our gatherings, less and less people at our baptisms, less and less people listening to our teaching, and you start to decrease and decrease in status and prominence, and world, on, on, the, on the surface, in, in just the world's eyes, that looks like failure, and they respond how often we do in a situation like that, which is kind of freaking out, and look what John doesn't do. John doesn't deal with it how sometimes we deal with it. He doesn't say, well, it's not as bad as that guy. No one's going to his baptisms. He's just standing by water. He just looks like he's swimming. He's there for a baptism, but nobody knows. He doesn't do it like that. Sometimes that's what happens with us, right? When it's not going the way we want it to go, we go, well, I don't have it as bad as that person. It could be worse. Or we might think, well, it'll get better. It'll be okay. Everything will work out. And John doesn't do that at all. John goes, he must increase I must decrease. He responds to a situation that many of us, that many of us would be tempted to at least in our disappointments, freak out like his disciples did. But John responds with this perfect peace, contentment, going, he must increase, I must decrease. He responds going, my joy is complete, it's okay. This is what God has. He responds in a beautiful way, right? The way that we would hope to respond in. That when we talk about disappointment that we all face in our lives, each one of us faces disappointment in our lives. 
And we go, man, how could I, how can I respond in a way that it doesn't totally throw me off kilter, that it doesn't totally mess with my day when something doesn't go the way I want it to go? It doesn't mess with my life. It doesn't crush my emotions. It doesn't make me so bitter or disgruntled. Or, Man, how could I respond like that? And just to begin with, we look at John's life when he faces a situation that could be really disappointing. I know for me, I, I would in that situation, definitely be tempted to be freaking out. And John responds with peace and contentment, saying, he must increase, I must decrease. This is my position. This is what I'm here for. It's okay. Calm down. It's beautiful, right? That's how we would all hope to be able to respond when any disappointment comes our way. This is how John responds. This is something that I think that we all want, right? something that we would all want to be able to do. I mean, I do. I want to be able to face situations like that, the way John does. I want to be able to do that. But what gets in the way of facing disappointment like this? What gets in the way of facing disappointment like this? See, John responds in such a beautiful way, and yet you know and I know that we don't respond like that, at least all the time, right? I don't. I mean, I've faced a lot of disappointment in my life. What I told you was, you know, that was at five and six, but it's only increased in severity since then, just like you. How do we, how do we respond like John? What stands in the way of facing disappointment like that? You see what John was up against? The loss of reputation, the loss of respect, the loss of admiration, the loss of success. That's what he was up against, and yet he responded so beautifully. What stands in the way of us facing disappointment like that? What stands in the way of us facing disappointment like that? Because we have different things going on in our life that we're disappointed by, right? Maybe your job isn't working out the way you want it to work out. Maybe you want to be married and you're not married. Maybe you're married and your marriage isn't working out the way you want it to work out. Maybe... You don't have the kind of success in your career that you wanted to have. It's just kind of happening. There's all sorts of different things. What is it for you right now versus me just listing off tons of things? Where are you disappointed right now? Where do you feel like you're missing out? Where do you feel like maybe even God's holding out on you? Where do you feel like there's something you want that you just can't seem to get? And you're disappointed, maybe even crushed, maybe even devastated, but maybe not. Maybe just disappointed. Maybe just really wanting it to change. Where is that right now for you? Because what happens is we've got problems in our life, frustrations, unmet expectations, and we pray. If you're a Christian or maybe even not a Christian, we pray go, God, will you change this? God, will you change it? God, will you change? We pray in Jesus' name, and we pray crossing ourselves, and we pray, I mean, whatever we pray, and we pray, and we try to put into place all the different practices and tips that we could do to maybe change it, and sometimes none of that works. It doesn't change, and we don't have the joy and the peace and the contentment and the resiliency that John had. What stands in the way of facing disappointment? like John. Well, the earlier story between Jesus and Nick, I think is a great contrast. It's a great contrast 
It's a great contrast in a whole outlook and mentality on life that affects this. See, Nicodemus was a man. Nicodemus was a man that had a lot of success, just like John in some ways. He had a lot of respect. He was a teacher. He was very prominent among the Jews. Jesus says he's a teacher. He even uses um, in the language, the original language, he uses a word that says you are the teacher of Israel, which is to say he's a very prominent teacher in Israel. He was known and respected and loved. He had a lot of things going on, and yet he still felt he was missing something. He still felt he was missing out on something. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night looking for some answers. And he goes, Jesus, I know you're a teacher. I know you've got some things. I know there's some things that you have. And Jesus says, Jesus can even see in his life, he's missing seeing the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you you don't see the kingdom of God. Which is to say, he sees into his soul and sees you're missing. There's places where you feel like you're missing out. And the way Nicodemus responds, his outlook on life is a nice contrast, or sad contrast, rather, to John's outlook on life. Because here's the summary. Jesus talks to him, and here's, here's kind of the summary of what happens. Jesus tells Nicodemus, your whole outlook on life is based on earning something from God. Your whole outlook on life is based on earning something from God. Because Jesus tells him, you want to enter the kingdom of God? You want to see the kingdom of God? You want to have life with God? Here's what you need. You've got to be born again. And I know that language has a lot of baggage in, in our um, day because sometimes people associate that with, aren't those like crazy Christians, born again Christians? But Jesus says, If you want to see the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God and experience life with God, here's what you need to be born, which isn't something you earn. I mean, if you have children, your children didn't earn being born. If, I mean, all of us in here at one point were a child, we didn't earn being born. It happens. It's freely given. It's freely given to us. And Nicodemus does not get it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand and Jesus corrects him and rebukes him and says, man, if you're supposed to be a teacher of these things, but you don't get it. Because Nicodemus' whole outlook of life is based on earning from God. So to be told, here's how you enter into relationship with God, the kingdom of God. Here's how you do it. You're born. Nicodemus says, huh? What are you talking about? I thought the way that you get over here is you do the right things and you, you gain access and privilege over here. 